Hi, everyone. Uh, today's Bible reading is from Luke chapter 24, beginning at verse uh, 14. Oh, sorry, beginning at verse 13. Now, that same day, two of them were going to, the, to a village called uh, Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as they walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked, about Jesus of Nazareth? They replied, he was a prophet, powerful in word and deed, before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had a hope that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb earlier this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that he had seen a version of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they didn't see Jesus. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scripture concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going uh, farther. But they urged him strongly, Stay with us, for it is near evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was, when he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from his set, from their set. They asked each other, "Were not our hearts burning within us while he walked, while he talked with us on the road, and opened and opened the, the a scripture to us?" They got up the, they got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, "It is true, the Lord has risen." and had appeared to Simon. Then the two told uh, what had happened on the day. And now Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were, strict, they were, uh, they were startled and frightened, think, uh, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts raise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I, myself. 
touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe, it's because of joy and amazement, he asked them, Do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. He said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, This is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my father had promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. When he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed him. Um, while he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they stayed continually at the temple, praising God. On the 9th of March, 2022, Ukrainian soldiers pulled a badly injured woman out of the rubble of Maternity Hospital No. 3 in Mariupol after the building had been bombed by Russian aircraft and collapsed on top of her. She was pregnant. Both her and the baby died. Three days ago, on Thursday, Vladimir Putin declared victory in Mariupol, saying, the completion of combat work to liberate Mariupol is a success. Congratulations. Congratulations. How do we respond when we hear about something like that? What do we do? Where do we turn to? When you read or hear about others living through horror beyond your experience, or when you're in an experience like that yourself, a deep black sadness or a gut-churning anxiety, when the overwhelming pressure of work or study makes you question your very purpose or identity, when you're by yourself in your room and the weight of loneliness feels like it's going to crush you, What do you do? I'm not asking where should you turn or what should you do. I know we all know there's a right answer to the question. But what do you do? Is there anything you can do, anywhere you can turn, that's going to offer real, genuine comfort and hope beyond platitudes or escapism? Like I said, I know we all know there's a right answer to the question. Where do we turn? To Jesus. But but what does that actually look like? How how do you do that? And how does turning to Jesus offer real comfort and hope? Because it does. 
And I hope that as we look through this text tonight, we'll be able to see clearly how Jesus offers comfort and hope in the midst of pain and confusion. Firstly, for his disciples then. Secondly, for us today. And finally, for the entire world. So let's get into it. The disciples at this point in the story are not in a good place. They're pretty miserable. As we can see in a snapshot from verse 17, standing still, their faces downcast. And we can understand why. They've just seen their friend, teacher, and in their words, from verse 21, the one whom they hoped would redeem Israel, be tortured, humiliated, and asphyxiate to death on a wooden cross. All in all, things could be going better. And in the passage tonight, we have two stories of Jesus bringing comfort and hope to his despondent disciples. He does so in two ways. By revealing himself and by revealing the scriptures. By revealing himself and revealing the scriptures. Firstly, revealing himself. Now this one we kind of expect. Okay, he died and now he's back from the dead. And so it makes sense that he would come to his disciples and tell them, hey, it's, it's me, I'm back from the dead. Which he does, but in a strange kind of way. In, in the first instance, the two disciples walking to Emmaus are kept from recognizing him, presumably through miraculous means, until Jesus is invited in for dinner, he breaks the bread, they recognize him, and then he just disappears. And then after those two run back to Jerusalem to tell the others what had happened, he just appears in the room with them and says, peace be with you. Which is the ancient Near Eastern version of, hey, what's up? Perhaps imbued with a little more meaning. And then as the disciples react with understandable fear and terror, Jesus asks, why are you troubled? What's the matter? At this point, you can't help but think Jesus is maybe having a bit of fun with this whole resurrection thing. Yes, it was a miracle of all miracles, but that doesn't mean he has to be stone-faced about it. Though a lot of it's lost in cultural and language translation, Jesus was a pretty funny guy, and these are his best friends. It's not completely out of his character to be engaging in some post-resurrection shenanigans. (laughs) Regardless, he reveals himself to them. He shows them his wounds, he eats with them, and they respond as we might expect, verse 41, with joy and amazement. Because seeing someone that you know and love be killed and then come back from the dead is joyful and amazing. But it's not in and of itself a source of comfort and hope. There needs to be more to the picture. Which brings us to the second thing Jesus does. Revealing the scriptures. And he does this with the two disciples on the road to Emmaus and the rest in Jerusalem too. And it might seem a bit odd that one of the first things Jesus does after emerging from the tomb is to jump right into a Bible study. But the thing is, it's only in the context of Scripture, Scripture understood properly, that the resurrection of Jesus moves from something merely amazing to something that offers ultimate comfort and hope. To the two disciples on the road, Jesus, verse 27, 
says, Beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. And to the disciples in Jerusalem, he said, verse 44, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Jesus' resurrection is more than just an amazing miracle. It's the point at which all of history up until now has been driving towards the fulfillment of everything God had done and promised throughout all of Scripture. Listen to how one commentator puts it. Christ and his gospel are the new hope promised in Genesis, the new life typified in Exodus, and the new law foreshadowed there and in the books that follow. They are the ideal which all the judges, all the kings, either felt towards or rebelled against. They put flesh on the insights of David. They bring to life the pattern of Jonah. They fulfill the visions of Isaiah. This period of time of the resurrected Jesus on earth before his ascension is like history holding its breath. The past makes sense. The mess of human history up to this point snaps into clarity. The present is full of wonder and joy and the pathway through to the promised future is all planned out. And then the ascension is the release, the exhale, a final confirmation that that all this is true. Jesus being enthroned as king and priest at the right hand of the Father, interceding for his people from that point up to now. And the ascension also gives us a glimpse of what we hope for in the future. What we look forward to in the face of death is not a soul leaving a body to go to some vague conception of heaven, but a restored, embodied, new creation, risen with God and free of pain. And we read that after the ascension, the disciples, verse 52, worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, And they stayed continually at the temple, praising God. From downcast misery to great joy and continual praise. The resurrection and ascension of Jesus is the source of comfort and hope for the disciples. But only as it's understood in the right context, as the fulfillment of and the lens through which we understand scripture because the ascension is not in and of itself hopeful and comforting right if we watched sam get whisked up to heaven before our very eyes we wouldn't be sitting here thinking oh wow that just fills me with such comfort and hope we'd be panicking (laughs) right in the same way the ascension and indeed the easter story doesn't offer comfort just because it's miraculous but because it fulfills Scripture. Scripture is not distinct from the comfort and hope of the disciples. It's the source of it. God's plan to redeem humanity to himself, defeat death and restore creation, which we glimpse fragments of throughout the story of the Bible, crystallizes in the person of Jesus. In the midst of confusion, fear and deep sadness, turning to Jesus... And understanding the scriptures gave real, perfect comfort and hope to the disciples.
And it can do the same for us. In the midst of the worst the world has to offer, there is perfect comfort and powerful hope available to us. The question is whether we take it. Think back to what I asked at the start. Not what should you do, but what do you do? When you're anxious, when you're sad, when you're lonely, when you're overwhelmed, what do you do? I'll tell you what I do. Too often I medicate with the solution that the majority of the people around us, and I would guess that the majority of us, have been prescribed by culture. Distraction. Something to take your mind off whatever it is that's going wrong. A a quick fix. You read the news of a maternity hospital being obliterated by a man threatening nuclear war, and then 30 seconds later you're watching a video of someone make fried mozzarella sticks. The pressures of work or study is pushing you into an existential crisis about your very identity and purpose. So you scroll through Facebook Marketplace for a while looking for a good deal on an Ikea Kallax. Or maybe you're lonely. You don't feel like you have anyone you could call a friend. So you spend the hours you have by yourself gaming or watching Netflix. Reddit, TikTok. Pinterest, food, retail therapy, sports, even throwing yourself into work or study are all completely fine, even good things. But if we try and use them to solve life's problems, we expect way too much of them. They can and do distract us, bringing us above misery into this kind of numb, neutral zone, but never any higher to where we need to be. There's no real healing, no real solution. Friends, as we saw in the passage tonight, as followers of Jesus, we have access to great comfort and hope in the face of the world's toughest challenges. But it's not something we just turn on like a switch. It's an active decision that has to be made. A decision in the midst of pain to turn to the resurrected Jesus and see and understand how he offers the solution to our suffering. And of course, turning to the resurrected Jesus for us is different than it was for the disciples. Because we don't see him in the flesh. But we do see him in scripture. That's, that's why we value the Bible so highly It's the window through which we see Christ. We see how his death, resurrection and ascension fulfills what was written before him. On each page we see Jesus, the source of our complete comfort and hope. So don't be sad, just read your Bible. End of the sermon. Of course it's not that simple. The the irony is that when we need comfort and hope the most, we're often least able to to make the decision to pursue it. It's often not easy to reach for a Bible when you're sad, especially in the midst of all the potential for distraction. It's a habit that needs to be built, a skill that needs to be developed. So 
So how do we do that? Something that's worth noticing about the passage tonight is that the disciples aren't the ones to go off and start studying the Bible in the midst of their grief. Jesus is the one who comes to them. In the midst of their sadness and confusion, Jesus is the one to open the scriptures and help them understand that everything's okay and everything's going to be all right. Later, in in the epistles, the rest of the New Testament, we see the disciples opening scripture in the midst of hardship, bringing it to bear in the lives of churches across the ancient world. But at this point, when they're young in their faith, when they don't fully understand, it's Jesus who comes to them to bring comfort and hope. John 13.34 A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. One of the ways we can love one another as Jesus loved is to be the one to offer comfort and hope to brothers and sisters who need it. This is why regular one-to-one meetups with with an older Christian mentor or a peer are so, so valuable. Uh, They create a a structure, a pre-established pattern in, in which this kind of thing can occur. You don't need to exert the effort to reach out to someone because there's coffee scheduled for Thursday morning. They're coming to you in your suffering or you're going to them in theirs. You're able to meet each other's felt needs and open scripture, and not to offer some shallow feel-good message, but to explore and understand how Jesus Christ provides specific, complete comfort and ultimate hope in any trial. Overwhelmed by the death and suffering in Ukraine? Remind one another that Jesus is the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy that one day people will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. And if Jesus promised to his people in John 10, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand struggling with questions of purpose and identity. You can open God's word together to Ephesians 2 and be reminded that we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Or the encouragement in Romans 8 that for those who love God, all things work together for good. Or if you're experiencing anxiety or loneliness, you can reflect together on Peter's call to cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Or Jesus' promise in Matthew that he is with us always until the end of the age. It's it's by no means a requirement to have someone you meet up with regularly to read the Bible. But for most people, it is really, really helpful. So, So if you don't currently have someone you're doing that with, let me encourage you to. Chat to a friend or someone from your small group or message me or one of the other staff members to help you find someone you could start doing that with. Firstly, Jesus was the source and object of ultimate hope for his first disciples as they saw him in his resurrected body, understood his fulfillment of the scriptures and watched him ascend. 
Secondly, he is the source and object of our ultimate hope as we see him on every page of our Bible. And thirdly, and finally, he's also the source of comfort and hope for the entire world. For us, as followers of Jesus, though we might often take the path of destruction rather than resting in the finished work of Christ, we still have access to the comfort and hope that he offers. It's there when we turn to him. But so many people, people you study with, people you work with, maybe people you live with, so many people aren't able to experience the comfort and hope of the gospel because they don't follow Jesus. Distraction is so rampant because when you don't have Jesus, it's the best option you've got. The fear, longing and pain people have can be blocked out by the noise of the modern world until it can't. When it can't, what do you have left except the suffering itself? There's a deep need for comfort. There's a deep need for hope. And we have the privilege of being able to share that comfort and hope with the people who need it. In fact, one of the things Jesus helps his disciples to understand as he reveals the scriptures to them is God's plan that, verse 47, repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in Jesus' name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem, before then instructing them, in verse 49, to wait in Jerusalem until God sends the Holy Spirit to equip them to do exactly that. Jesus offers grace, comfort and hope to us. And he wants us to offer that same comfort and hope to others, helping us by his spirit as we do so. I'm a bit allergic to the word evangelism. I don't know for sure. My guess is that a lot of you might be as well. It makes me think of loud street preaching, callous Bible bashing, Evangelism, to me, conjures up borderline traumatic memories of me and a couple of other 13-year-olds being forced by our youth leader to carry a massive cardboard sign that said, Honk for Jesus, down the main street of our small rural town. It's not what evangelism is. But in my experience, it's what it has become in the popular imagination. So let's talk for a minute about evangelism without using the word evangelism. The gospel is a jewel with many facets. Each facet of the jewel is beautiful in its own right. And altogether, they make a perfect whole. We're actually going to be looking at some of these different facets over the next few weeks as we start a series on the cross. Substitution, forgiveness, freedom, inspiration. But tonight... The facet we're focusing on is comfort and hope. When you share the gospel with someone, it can be quite confusing and overwhelming to try and get them to see and appreciate the entire jewel at once. So instead, show them a single facet. Show them comfort. Show them hope. 
reframe it to demonstrate how Jesus can and does offer comfort for your deepest pain and hope amidst your worst fears. Accessible by turning to him in repentance and accepting the forgiveness he offers. Tell them how he's offered comfort and hope to you and understand their needs so that you can explain how he offers comfort and hope to them. Lord knows they need it. Lord knows we all do. It starts by understanding it ourselves, by helping each other understand it. Resisting the culture of distraction, not being people who are marked by the constant buzz of busyness and consumption, but marked by a deep peace and joy in Jesus as we are so strikingly aware of the comfort and hope that he offers. For our own sake and for the sake of others with whom we can share that comfort and hope. If you think that regularly reading the Bible with someone else would help you to do that, again, let me encourage you to make that happen. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your Son, Jesus. In particular, we thank you that as he was brought up from death and ascended to your right hand, he offers us such amazing comfort and hope as we live on this side of the new creation. Help us to know that comfort for ourselves and help us to love one another as you first loved by bringing that comfort and hope to bear in the lives of our brothers and sisters who need it. Lord, empower us by your spirit to have insight and confidence to be able to share that hope with those who don't yet know it. Give us opportunities to present the comfort of the gospel to those in our lives who don't follow you and who deeply need it. All this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. We're now going to sing.